All right, we're continuing our study through the book of Ezekiel. Uh, Let's begin now in a word of prayer. Father, again, we are grateful for the word of God that you've given to us. And uh, many times when we think, well, there's, there's not much here in application for us, all we need to do is really take a look at your text more to understand there's a great amount of application. Father, I pray that even though this might be a short study, it would be still a, a point that you want to make to your people and that we would understand that point. Father, I pray, as always, that you would be glorified in what we talk about and that it would point us to your Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, uh, we're going to read the passage again. I just wanted to make a note. Last week I said that uh, this is not to be confused with the NET Bible. Actually, it's not to be confused with the NEB Bible, the New English Bible. Um, so I guess this is now called the New English Translation. Uh, and it was originally Lumina and whatnot on the internet. So it was really like an internet uh, Bible. So just to make that clear, if you're looking for it, uh, you can find it on Amazon or elsewhere. All right, let's go ahead and read the passage. We're in Ezekiel 19. Okay, so we see here just a, a short passage in Ezekiel. Uh, it's described as a kinah, uh, which is a lamentation, a dirge. And it's odd because it kind of looks like a dirge, but it kind of doesn't. Uh, it has kind of those characteristics, but then it doesn't. And in fact, it's more of a riddle. And most scholars will now say, well, it's really a riddle that you have to figure out. It's not really a dirge so much. Now, it ends up being a dirge once you figure it out because you understand what God is saying through it. Um, A dirge, just to let you know, is a genre of literature, usually a song, that is sung for someone who has died or sung over a city that has been destroyed. Um, The the lamentation is a time of uh, of something spoken in a time of mourning, sung in a time of mourning, usually sometimes at a funeral itself and often spoken to the corpse of the person or spoken to the, the ruin of the city or what have you. Here, it doesn't open in that way. It rather asks a question, and the question then tells us, well, this is actually a riddle. And then it goes into this imagery for you to figure out what the riddle means. Now, the, it's not hard to figure out what it means. So as we go through it, we'll see you know, what, it, what it's talking about. So uh, God says to him, and you sing a lament for the princes of Israel. Notice Ezekiel constantly calls the kings of Israel princes. And that is a way of saying to them, you're not really kings because the real king is the king of Babylon that God has set you under. You're vassals. Uh, He's really the, the real king. And so he constantly calls these guys princes, which are lower rulers than a king. Usually it's the word melech that you would use for king, and he uses the words for princes instead. They're lower rule, rulers, lower royal family. But he is referring to the kings. And so right at the get-go, we know the riddle is going to be something about the kings and uh, something about royalty and all of that sort of thing. What a lioness was your mother among the lions? Uh, now, literally in the Hebrew, that's the way they translate it there, but it, it literally is, what, what is your mother? Um, and that she is a lioness among the lions. She lay among the young lions. She reared her cubs. She reared one of her cubs. He became a young lion. He learned to tear prey. He devoured people. The nations heard about him. He was trapped in their pit. They brought him with hooks to the land of Egypt. 
Um, so right away now, okay, we're talking about kings and we're thinking, and it's obviously the last kings of Israel because they're subjected to Nebuchadnezzar and they're called princes. And this one is carted away to Egypt. So right away we know this is uh, Jehoiahaz. Jehoiahaz was uh, attacked by Pharaoh Necho uh, on, uh, when Pharaoh Necho was trying to make his way and, and attack the Babylonians. Uh, he captures Jehoiahaz on his way back. Uh, uh, kind of um, puts him in a city for a while, but then he eventually brings him back to Egypt and he's, he's captive in Egypt for the rest of his life. So <clears throat> that's what happens to him. That's clearly what this is talking about. Um, the second one, now uh, starting in verse five, when she realized that she waited in vain, her hope was lost. She took another of her cubs and made him a young lion. He walked about the lions, he became a young lion, he learned to tear prey, he devoured people, he broke down their strongholds and devastated their cities. The land and everything in it was frightened at the sound of his roaring. The nations, the surrounding regions attacked him. They threw their net over him, he was caught in their pit. They put him uh, in a collar with hooks. They brought him to the king of Babylon. They brought him to prison so that his voice would not be heard any longer on the mountains of Israel. Now, there's some disagreement of who this might be. Uh, Could it be Jehoiachin? But in reality, it's probably not. It's probably, again, Ezekiel is constantly pushing against Zedekiah because he's been telling Zedekiah, you're not going to reign. The king of Babylon is going to take. You're going to come into Babylon. You're not even going to see the land. And of course, what happens to Zedekiah is that eventually he is captured his sons are killed before him. Afterward, his eyes are gouged out, and then he's put into Babylon and kept prisoner there until the rest of his life. He, he dies there. And so this is likely about Zedekiah. In the next chapter, he's going to be talking about Zedekiah. So it's, it's clear that this is a push against Zedekiah, who's still on the throne while Ezekiel is saying this. So he's letting them know that just as that king was drawn away, this king, you, Zedekiah, are going to be taken away. And there's a, a lament over these people. Well, then we have to ask, well, who's the mother? Who's the mother of these lions? Who's the lion, the lioness? Well, um, it seems clear that the lion lioness is Judah because Judah is the royal tribe. And if you go back to Genesis, there's a lot of language that scholars think is taken from Genesis. It may just be common language having to do with lions and what lions do or whatnot. Um, but it could be taken from Genesis, showing that Genesis is written before Ezekiel. And um, of Jacob talking about Judah, who is a lion, and he uses all of this imagery. He's a young lion, and he is a male lion, and then he's also a lioness. So all the imagery of lions in there. Lion is a royal animal. It's a social animal among the big cats, the felines. Uh, Unlike other cats, it actually stays in groups and that you have a king among them and whatnot. And so it's always been viewed as a royal uh, animal. Uh, kings, they, they sported lions, so they, they went hunting for lions and they caught them. And a lot of this has imagery of like ancient Near Eastern kings and peoples capturing lions and whatnot. But it's a royal thing. And so the tribe of Judah is being talked about in a royal way. Well, eventually we get down to the idea of, of well, what... What specifically is royal about Judah? Well, it's the Davidic kingship, the Davidic line. And so these men are in the Davidic line. Now, I want you to notice where this is placed in Ezekiel. Uh, 
we just got done with chapter 18. And chapter 18 was about, hey, I'm not judging you from what your fathers did. I'm judging you based on what you've done, whether you've continued your father's line or whether you've divorced yourself from your fathers and I have to make a different judgment about you. Well, the people, I think a lot of what is behind the people's um, complaints toward God is that, look, David was given promises. We're given promises as God's people. And therefore, we shouldn't be, we're not going to be cast out. God, God's not going to destroy his people. And what they're not noticing is that, no, just like the son who has turned away from the righteousness of his father, these kings have turned away from the righteousness of David, and they have cut themselves off, therefore, from the promises of David. The federal headship idea does not extend to them because they are no longer of David. And because of that, God cuts them off. Very important to understand then that this is true of the way that God works, and we'll make application of that in a moment. But after this, then he goes into a different imagery, and he says, your mother, in in verse uh, 10, your mother was like a vine in your vineyard, planted by water. It was fruitful and full of branches because it was well watered. Its bows were strong, fit for rulers' scepters. It reached up into the clouds. It stood out because of its height and its many branches, but it was plucked up in anger. It was thrown down to the ground. The east wind dried up its fruit. Its strong branches broke off and withered. A fire consumed them. Now it is planted in the wilderness in a dry and thirsty land. A fire has gone out from its branch. It has consumed its shoot and its fruit. No longer a branch was left in it, nor a scepter to rule. This is a lament song and has become a lament song. So the vine, of course, again, is Judah, perhaps the entire nation of Judah as the royal tribe of what it would have been had it just uh, flourished where it was. But instead, it was broken off in anger. It was taken away. It was planted in a a place, a dry land, which obviously it's not going to thrive in. Um, it's going to wither and die. And so these two two imageries are basically God saying to them, you're not receiving the promises of Judah and the Davidic line. The, the promises given by Jacob, the promises given to God through David are not yours. Why? Because you've cut yourself off from David. You've cut yourself off from Judah, the true Judah that was blessed. And so what would have been with you would have been something great. But because you sinned against God, because you turned from him through idolatry, turned from him through your sexual practices and were no longer creational, and turned from him by not giving to the poor that needed you and the needy, um, by not being preservational, the things that are mentioned in chapter 18, because of all of that, you have apostatized against God And therefore, you do not receive the inheritance of God that was promised to Judah. Now, this is important for us to understand because we're not Israel again, physically, ethnically, but we are spiritual Israel. And so as spiritual Israel, we need to understand that there is a visible church, just like here, there's visible Israel, But there's also an invisible church within the visible church. The visible church is simply everyone who claims to be a Christian. Everyone who thinks that, you know, I'm a Christian, 
uh, and uh, you know, I prayed a prayer, or I go to this church, or wh- whatever it may be. They identify themselves as Christians. That's the visible church. Very large, very large. <clears throat> Israel here, you know, ethnically speaking, is is a very large group. Maybe three hundred thousand, even. I mean, it might be reduced because of all the wars and things like that going on to to about fifty thousand. People just don't know how many there are at this point. But but um, but it's a larger group that the church is, the visible church. Within that, though, we understand through the Bible that all of that group is not saved. All of that group is not displaying the glory of God in the same way. That the, the invisible Israel in that group, the people who are actually following Jesus Christ, who have a genuine faith that produces works of righteousness that are described here. In other words, it produces good theology, good, right religion, correct ideas of God. You're actually accepting orthodoxy, produces creational practice in your sexuality and preservational practices where you're giving to the, the poor and needy. So all this stuff that you would see in the book of Acts or First John or, or what have you and throughout the Bible, really. That's invisible Israel. That's the Israel that will receive the promises of salvation, sonship, everything of God. But we, and that's how God will, will show his glory, his mercy, and his love to the world through them. But the rest of Israel, visible Israel, visible church, will not have God's glory displayed in that way. He instead will make himself known in his wrath upon them because they're actually a part of the world. In the same way that Judah here is actually just a part of the world and is not a part of true Israel, genuine Israel, uh, spiritual Israel. So it, as the church, we need to realize that the judge, look, I am not saying the judgment of God is upon the church because we have a disease right now that's rampant in the land. That's, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that, and I've said before, the church has been under God's judgment. We're just throwing anything else in at this point, but it's been under God's judgment, which is a Romans one judgment, a spiritual judgment first for spiritual Israel, the church. And what is that judgment? Because they did not adhere to the rightfulness of Orthodox Christianity, the rightfulness of religion, who God is, truly, they exchanged the Christian God for the Enlightenment God and called it the Christian God. Because of that false religion, God gave them over to demeaning sexual practices to dishonor their bodies so that Christians practice what the world does and that their sexual practices are not creational either. And that they are not also then preservational toward the needy who are Christian poor. What do they do? They dilute the resources of the kingdom of God to such an extent because they're giving to the entire world. Yeah, who you support shows who you are. So if you're supporting the world, you're supporting people who aren't Christians, and I don't care what relationship they have with you, sons or daughters or whatever they may be, uh, I don't care, or just charities that are, have nothing to do with you. If you're supporting the world, it's because you are the world. Now, it could be that you're a mistaken Christian, I realize, but if you just keep doing it even after rebuke, then it's because you're the world. 
So all of this is a part of that judgment. When you dilute that, you throw those resources out there, now you can't actually take care of your poor. The, 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 um, the description of Christians in the book of Acts in taking care of the needy is that there is no more need because Christians have taken care of all of it. Well, Christians can't do that today because they don't have enough money to throw out to the world and to you. So they, they'll give you a little thing if, if you're needy. They'll take care of a little bit, but it's not going to actually take care of the need. The person is going to remain in need. That's not the picture in Acts. That's not what it means to take care of the poor in the church. It's not, hey, here's a food card, even though you're starving every month and you can't pay your rent every month. That doesn't help the food card then, this little $50 food card or whatever it may be. I'm not, I'm not you know, pushing back against what people do in, in that regard and trying to help. I'm not saying one person needs to do everything. I'm just saying that the church as a whole needs to take care of the needy, and they're not. The church as a whole needs to understand that they have a creational job to do with their sexuality, with their, their marriage relationships, which they're not doing in various ways whether it's by adopting Gnostic views of sexuality. And so when people get married, they become monks and they don't want to partake because they think that somehow is, is no longer spiritual. Um, or it's just they practice contraception or they are involved in all sorts of warped sexual practices. Again, we'll talk about this later because Ezekiel is going to bring it up again and again. But the biggest... Uh, the big, biggest thing that shows us they're under judgment is their warping of who God is, their exchange of Christianity with a false religion and a false God. So that, that when they talk about Jesus and God, they are not talking about Jesus and God as he's presented in the Bible, and they don't even know it. Because the churches have taught them that fake Jesus, which again, we'll, as in the upcoming chapters, we'll see. Uh, is a rebuke in Ezekiel that it starts with the problem of the prophets and false prophets telling the people the wrong God, uh, distorting the image of Yahweh and who he is. And so what I'm saying is, is that the church has been under judgment. It's not something that came about since this illness arose. Anything else, whether it be uh, plague or famine or war or whatever other types of judgment there are, to come, they can just be thrown in in the framework of understanding that the church today is under the judgment of God. And therefore, God will not work out his glory, make himself known through these people by saving them and giving them the promises they think they have. Instead, he will show his glory through them by damning them, by destroying them which is very different than I'm sure what they're expecting. But because they've turned away from him and the truth, I mean, they don't even have, most of them don't even care about the truth. And then those who do care, they're, they're supporting false religions. They're, they're cults and they're false churches and they're, they're, you know, they're mega churches that don't teach them uh, any, the whole counsel of God in order to keep that enlightenment religion uh, intact. And so they will not display who God is in that way. But notice, just like here, God's going to display who he is one way or the other. And the lament is what would have been if only it had been faithful. What would have been was that God would show himself 
in his greatness through his mercy and salvation through them. That's what would have been. The lament, the dirge, is what is, which is God will now show himself in his justice, in his wrath upon them, in their destruction. That is not something that God did in the Old Testament and no longer does. The warning for the church for our day is that God is still doing this and he's going to do it. And you can decide whether you're going to repent and let yourself be a vessel of mercy that he shows himself his glory through you in salvation Or you can just keep on going down that comfortable road, keep on doing what you're doing, don't repent, and let God show himself through his wrath upon you, his wrath upon what is wicked, his justice upon you. God is not different than he was in the Old Testament. He's the same. He works the same way. But God will make himself known through you one way or the other. Now, the lament, of course, as I said, is what would have been, right? But we now have an opportunity, just like they really do here. If the people would have just listened to Ezekiel here and all repented, this may not, this may, even though God is, is firm, no, it's not going away, I'm going to do it no matter what, it, it, he probably would have relented. Now, of course, he's going to do it no matter what because he knows they're not going to repent and he's, he's not going to grant them repentance and all of that. But we have a real opportunity in the church right now, and maybe the, the whole virus is part of that, but it doesn't seem like the church learned its lesson very well. So before it's too late, before it's too late, I appeal to the Western church who has, who has adopted Enlightenment religion over Christianity. I appeal specifically to the American church that has done it even worse than everyone else. This is really the time of repentance. This is really your last chance. Repent and maybe, maybe God will pull this judgment off you. Pull this cloak from off of your eyes for you to see the truth. To understand that what you are doing, what you believe and what you're practicing is not Christianity. So that you would come to the right and be a vessel of his glory, of salvation, his love. Display who he is in terms of the promises actually being given to you. Because now you've joined yourself with Christ, truly united to him, you'll receive his promises. Don't be like these people who are saying, no, 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 we, we, we identify ourselves for the label of God's people. God's people receive God's promises. Therefore, we're not going to be judged by God. But they were judged by God. Again, this is a historical fact. This actually happened. God actually did have their babies dashed to the ground. God actually did have their city burned. God actually did have their women raped and murdered. Like, God actually did do this. Because he's not playing around. It's not an idle threat. He really is warning you, repent. You are going to hell if you don't. He really does send people to hell. It's not a bluff. It's not a joke. 
It's going to happen. So repent now if you hear his voice in today, which is the day of salvation. Hear him, repent, turn, because you don't have much time. Things are happening. Look, we can see that the people are going into a further blindness. It just perpetuates itself, this darkness. But because you know that you, you, there is a line, and that line is there's, there's a spark of light out there. There are people preaching the word of God to you. There are good Orthodox churches where you can go and be discipled through the whole counsel of God. You don't have to sit yourself under these false prophets anymore. You don't have to be a part of that destruction that is going to be visible Israel that isn't invisible Israel. The visible church that isn't the invisible church. So I invite you today, please repent of these things. If you're a church that is not teaching what's right, repent of these things. I know this is a kind of a constant message for Ezekiel, but God wants his people to get it. And as much as he says it, they don't seem to get it. So don't make yourself a lament and a dirge to where the people who actually are saved have to look upon you and sing this. And sing things like it and wonder what would have been had you only done in accordance with what God had said in his word. Well, that's a, it's a short lesson in Ezekiel 19. I hope it's an important lesson for us that God now is, again, kind of in a way still mocking them in, in their saying, well, this isn't going to happen to us. And God saying, yes, it is, either through plays or through these parables and now through this even dirge that he's telling them to sing as though it were already their funeral. They're already destroyed, telling them, no, this is truly going to happen. Uh, may it not happen to us, people of God. Maybe we, may we hear this word and repent and be a light in the world rather than a part of the darkness. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word, Lord. Uh, it sobers us up in terms of understanding that just because we call ourselves Christians doesn't make us a Christian. Just because we go to a Christian church may not make us a Christian. But instead, it is whether or not we are truly people who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ and have been united to him so as to receive from him the righteousness of the Holy Spirit that produces a true righteousness in our creational and preservational activity, our turning away from that which is anti-creational and anti-preservational, the wickedness, the chaos in the world. Father, I pray, Lord, restore your people to your image. Let us be those vessels of life to the world rather than vessels of death. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.